ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope everybody is having a fantastic day, week, month, and I hope your 2021 is off to a fantastic start. I hope that the vibes that you are experiencing are absolutely exquisite, much like us here in New York State. And the fabulous part about living in New York State isn't the weather because it's cold as fuck. It's that, weirdly enough, both of the NBA teams located in New York City are playing at a fantastic level right now. That's right, folks. Both Knicks and Nets fans can bond over how fantastically their respective teams are playing. I'm going to go ahead and say it right off the bat. I did not expect the Knicks to be as good as they are this year for probably leading up to this season since the end of last season leading up into this one and all throughout last season as well I did not expect the Knicks to be good for two two three more years or so and by good what I mean is contending for a playoff spot as they are right now they are fourth in the Eastern Conference at 18 and 17. Just a fantastic start to the season for Tom Thibodeau's squad. But I was so staunch in my belief that the Knicks were going to be fucking doo-doo water this year that this is really a fucking enormous surprise to me. But I know I'm not alone in this belief. I'm pretty sure that the majority of people who follow the NBA and even, you know, probably 50-60% of Knicks fans did not expect the team to be this good. To begin the season, just when you look at the roster, right? The roster, and I'm just keeping it a whole stack of Roni here. I'm just keeping it a million thousand percent on paper. The roster is decent. So there's Julius Randle, whom many Knicks fans had hella beef with last season just because of his play style and how it didn't really fit with the youth of the squad. You know, many felt that. Randall, who's still kind of young himself, who's playing for a big contract, was taking some of the shine away from guys like R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. And that may or may not be the case this year still, because Randall is undeniably the Knicks' best player at this point. Averages of 23 points, 11 boards, 5.5 assists. This dude is an NBA All-Star, and he's entirely deserving of that honor. I, I myself him on my all-star team when I recorded I think it was either like three weeks or last month at some point I felt that he was just having a fantastic season and he deserved to be rewarded from it but you look at the rest of the roster no other stars on there you got RJ Barrett Derek Rose who came over recently in a trade with the Detroit Pistons then Alfred Payton who has really become the Julius Randle of this Knicks squad just drawing an immense amount of ire from the Knicks fans, and understandably so, because when you look at the numbers, Alfred Payton just simply does not help that team that much. I mean, bad free throw, not a bad free throw shooter, bad three point shooter, doesn't really make plays at the level that some might have been expecting. I mean, he's like third on the team in assists behind Randall and Derrick Rose, and he's really the biggest thing is that he's taking minutes away from someone like Emmanuel quickly, right? Who over the course of the season, has become the new, I don't want to say the new, but one of the new um, golden children of the Knicks fan base. And I can really get behind that in minimal time. Emmanuel quickly has just been absolutely fantastic. This dude is averaging 12 points in 18 minutes, and it could be higher, but his two-point shooting, really not that great. Overall, it's just 39.5% from the field. But how this Knicks team got here, with a below average roster and by below average I it's kind of a mix between talent because the roster in itself isn't exceptionally talented and I will talk a little bit more about that when I get into why exactly I feel the Knicks are in this position roster isn't exceptionally talented granted they have a decent amount of talent some of which has not been fully realized yet I'm talking about again guys like quickly and RJ Barrett but the Knicks have gotten here because I feel because of Tom Thibodeau 
Tom Thibodeau joins this team. He was really the first. I don't know. Was he the first? He might have been the first big move that Leon Rose made as um, general manager. Team was looking for a coach. You didn't know who it was going to be. Since David Fisdale, things have been a little rocky. You know, Mike Miller really coached his ass off last season after um, taking over. I don't remember if he... Was he there for the full season? Let's double check that real quick. So after the removal of David Fisdale, Mike Miller comes in and really does a fantastic job with a team that David Fisdale could not do that much with. And rightly so. He earned a lot of chatter when it came to the head coaching candidacy. Of course, there are also guys like Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson and also Kenny Atkinson as well. I always felt that Kenny would have been the better option just because of where the Knicks are as an organization looking to rebuild a young team and Kenny Atkinson coming off of doing that with the Brooklyn Nets. I just felt that it would it would have been a fantastic pairing. Of course, I love Tom Thibodeau. I love his coaching style, even if it doesn't really gel with the newer school approach. I don't know if you'll be able to win a title with Tom Thibodeau as your head coach, but when it comes to building good habits and just maximizing the effort from younger players, Tom Thibodeau is clearly very talented at that. He's got this Knicks team with the best defense in terms of points allowed per game, and the second best in terms of efficiency. I will say it again. The roster does not have many defensive stoppers on it. Mitchell Robinson isn't there. He's dealing with a broken hand or something. He had surgery to uh, repair something going on in his hand. He's not coming back until after the All-Star break. So Mitchell Robinson is not there. Taj Gibson is not there. Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett, not exactly elite defenders. The same goes with guys like Austin Rivers and Emmanuel Quickly and Kevin Knox. And, I mean, Nerlens Noel is there, and he's averaging about two blocks a game, almost one steal in 20 minutes, so he's been good in limited time. But I always say, and not just me, I'm not trying to make it seem like I'm this fucking immensely sentient being where my brain is just so much bigger than everybody else's, but... When it comes to playing defense in the NBA, a lot of it does come down to effort. And if nothing else, the Knicks are just competing harder than anybody else on that end of the floor. However, it's coming very clearly at the expense of their offense. And this isn't me trying to shit on the Knicks. I think that this was a decision that everybody knew of beforehand. and. I respect it a lot because Tom Thibodeau, if I had to guess, when building his game plan said, okay, we do not have the pieces currently to be able to contend with teams like Philadelphia, with teams like Milwaukee, with teams like the Brooklyn Nets, even before they went out and they got James Harden, even somebody like the Utah Jazz or the Miami Heat, who were without Jimmy Butler for a decent chunk of this season. Like they, they just did not have the pieces to be able to contend with some of the other more full or the fuller teams in the league. So he's like, what, you know what we're going to do? We're young. We got a bunch of size. We got some length. We got a lot of athleticism. We're going to play to that strength. And how do you play to that strength? You suffocate teams on defense. And it's worked. So I guess to say it's coming at the expense of the offense is kind of disingenuous. It was more of a proactive choice. I think, to focus less on the offense. And also because when you have a young roster like this, you want them to give a lot of effort and build these good defensive habits because as guys get older and they become better offensively, they may be less inclined to compete on that end in certain situations. So Tom Thibodeau, like, you know what? We got a couple guys who can put some points up for us, but we're probably going to win a lot of games on our defense. And they have. And if anything, this just proves how scary the Knicks could be if they improve their offense over time, which I think will happen at some point. I don't know if it'll happen at this year because they are arguably the worst offense in the NBA, both in terms of scoring efficiency or just in terms of scoring volume and scoring efficiency. A lot of it is also they play at this very sluggish pace, which is a little strange, again, because they have this 
surplus of athleticism. I mean, again, guys like Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. And Derrick Rose is still a decent athlete, despite not being able to do it every time down the court. And then, you know, when healthy, Mitchell Robinson's there. So that is a little strange. But at this point, I don't think anything's going to change. And I don't think anything should change. Because, you know, for the first time in a while, the Knicks are... I don't want to say they're must-see TV, but, you know, you're not going to be disappointed if they're one of the only options on the schedule. Like, if you have a light day where not a lot of teams are playing, not a lot of the big guys are playing, and, you know, you get stuck watching fucking Detroit-Washington on one game, and then you got, like, New York-Utah on the other one, you know, you could put on the Knicks game and know that you're going to get a good matchup. So I'm very, very impressed with what's going on in New York City or in Manhattan, I should say. <clears throat> I don't know if Tom Thibodeau is going to get a lot of consideration for Coach of the Year right now. <clears throat> oh my God, pardon me. Right now, I think, I think Quinn Snyder is in the lead for that. I haven't really thought about it too much. But the Jazz are just dominating everybody. I mean, Quinn Snyder has done a fantastic job, but there are a lot of guys. I'm pretty sure I talked about this last week, too. And you got Quinn Snyder, Steve Nash, Doc Rivers, Frank Vogel. Oh, no, it was, um, it was Monty Williams. That's who my pick was. Um, I think with everything that's gone on, Quinn Snyder might have overtaken him just because the Jazz, again, they have been so dominant over the last couple of months. I mean, just really a fantastic showing. But Tom Thibodeau, I would not be shocked if he got a couple votes when the time came. And if we're just going to switch gears, head south a little bit, down to the borough of Brooklyn, where the Nets are pretty much the hottest team in the league right now, right up there with Utah. They're fresh off an eight-game winning streak that was unfortunately snapped by the Dallas Mavericks on, I think, Saturday night. It was a tough loss, mainly because not only was Kevin Durant out, Kevin Durant is still dealing with a hamstring injury. The team, of course, being super precautious with that, and I totally get it. There was no Kyrie Irving that night either. So they got bashed by the Mavericks. Luka Doncic had a fantastic night. James Harden kind of got stuck in the blender. Wasn't really that great. I think his plus-minus was like minus 27. Had a bunch of turnovers. It was just an all-around bad showing from our boys in black and white. However, before that, really, all people could talk about, and rightly so, was how this team crushed almost anyone in their path on their eight-game winning streak. I talked about this again last week, beating teams like the Warriors, the Suns, the Lakers, the Clippers, and then most recently, they beat the Spurs actually on Monday night in overtime. Probably shouldn't have went to overtime, but a win is a win. And... The Nets are just, they have the most upside of any team in the league because for them to be playing this cohesively and this just violently without Kevin Durant, when he comes back, it's really going to just take, he's going to take this team to another level because we saw what Kevin Durant was doing at the beginning of the season and up until a couple weeks ago. And that was before the team had developed this level of chemistry. I'm just going to pull up stats from the last 10 games, right? So, I was sure what the fuck. James Harden, Kyrie Irving are giving you about 50, 54 points. 27 times 2 is 54. They give you about 54 points. They're each shooting damn near 50% from the floor. and Harden is shooting 46% from three. Kyrie is a little bit worse at 40. But then look at this. We got Joe Harris at 15 points on 51% shooting. Bruce Brown. Bro, I fucking love Bruce Brown. I would die for this man. This dude has been awesome. Really throughout the season. But more recently, look at this. 12 and a half points. Damn near five boards, shooting 40% from three. I mean, Bruce Brown is one of those guys where he just, 
he just makes plays. I mean, he's not going to really go out and drop 20 consistently, although he did set a new career high a couple days ago. But he's just got a nose for the ball, and he plays with so much effort, both offensively and defensively. He really is like the ultimate glue guy. And then, of course, Jeff Green playing pretty well. Nick Claxton is coming back, has looked phenomenal. I mean, finally, the Nets have a legitimate backup center. I mean, Landry Shamit has found a little bit of a rhythm as well, now shooting 38% from three. So another floor spacer. Um, and I mean, that's really it. DeAndre Jordan has had more good nights than bad nights. And really, there's been nothing else of note. The recent signees, Amon Shumpert and Andre Robertson, really haven't had much time. I think like the three of between them, Andre Robertson has played, he's played like 50 minutes, 48, 48.4, about 48, if my math serves me correctly. And then Amon Shumpert has played not even fucking 15 minutes as a Brooklyn Net. So there's that. Um, also, TLC, a lot of the Nets fan base wants to send him to Siberia. Um, I'm going to remain quiet on that because, like, the thing with TLC, and this has been the issue all season long, is that he's just, like, he's so inconsistent. I mean, it's just, like, it's so wild. And his degrees of inconsistency vary so much. Like, he'll either come out and make eight of nine from three or one of nine from three. And then maybe he'll like foul out of one game. Like the game that he's playing well, he'll like foul out or some shit. He's really just all over the place. And I'm just glad that there are other guys who Steve Nash can go towards. It's like when you're at this level, it's really just a matter of sticking with the guys who are hot. It's like, you know, James and Kyrie are going to be out there pretty much all the time maybe 75% of the time. And then, you know, Joe Harris is another mainstay. Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, Landry Shamit, DeAndre Jordan, Nick Claxton. That's now like eight guys or so that you can consistently rely on, which is awesome. And then you got Tyler Johnson, who's been decent as well, being able to knock down a couple threes. So the Nets rotation is only going to get smaller and smaller as the playoffs creep in. And, you know, of course, we got like... Of course, there are going to be guys like KD, Kyrie, Harden, obviously, and then Joe Harris, Bruce Brown. And it's really, it's really open season. It's going to be a free-for-all to see who fills out those last couple of roster spots. I do feel that the defense is not as great as it can be right now. I'm just double-checking those stats. And just from looking at some of the point totals they've allowed over the last 10 games, it's just like... Fam, what the fuck's going on? So let's see. Brooklyn is... Well, fucking bend me over and spit on me. They are ninth, actually, in points allowed per game at 110. Obviously, not that great. And there are a couple ties, but... From where this team was to where they're at now, because on the season, they're averaging 116. So it's a six-point improvement. And in the NBA, when every team has a considerable amount of firepower, those six points really do make a difference. So I'm glad to see some level of improvement. And again, I think it just all comes down to just being able to play together because Harden hasn't missed much time. Kyrie really hasn't missed that much time either of late. And then, you know, the rotation guys are finally comfortable with one another. And Steve Nash is finally figuring out what it takes to be a head coach and all of this is happening with Kevin Durant not healthy and Kevin Durant is going to come back and the team is going to be significantly better he's their best offensive player he's their most talented scorer he's also their best defender that is really his most underrated attribute at this point is just him being so disruptive on that end he might not be the most talented defender but you know he's long he's tall He's been in the league for 10 years. He knows how to play defense in the NBA, and he knows how to just be disruptive when he needs to be. You know, close game, he really doesn't have to worry about being that guy anymore at the end of the game. He can just let everything come to him. He doesn't have to force anything. You know, when he, when he was in Oklahoma City and he had Russell Westbrook, it was a different dynamic. Him and Russ were 50-50, and it was obvious that whenever you needed a bucket, 
it was going to KD. Because as far as I'm concerned, Kevin Durant is the greatest scorer that the NBA has ever seen. Just his ability to put the ball in the basket, basket from anywhere at any time, however he wants, has never been seen before and it will never be seen again. That's the type of player that Kevin Durant is. So up until now, I mean, maybe to a lesser degree when he was in Golden State because Steph was, you know, Steph is that same kind of player, a generational talent, arguably a once in a lifetime talent, much like Kevin Durant is. So he got a little bit of that in Golden State where he didn't have to have the ball in his hands all the time. And plus, there weren't many close games when going up against that team because Clay, Draymond, Steph, KD, it was just a fucking, it was just this, it was a, a conglomerate of talent that the league hadn't seen up until probably this Brooklyn Nets team where you have three guys who can get you 30 points on the same night and inefficient 30 at that point. All of these guys are shooting around 50% from the season. Like, that's fucking ridiculous. And now KD can just chill. He doesn't have to be that guy. He still is that guy. Like, I'm pretty sure that when the Nets are the Nets need a bucket, it's probably going to go to KD. I think James is comfortable deferring to Kevin Durant. I also think Kyrie at times is also comfortable deferring to Kevin Durant. The only time I don't see that happening is when Kyrie is having one of those nights where he can pretty much do no wrong. It's like, well, you know, he's shooting 17 of 21 from the field, and any time he crosses half court, he just the ball floats in. That's the only time I wouldn't see him deferring to KD. And I also think that KD is, you know, wise enough to know not to fuck with that. I mean, he's had nights like that in the past. And, you know, when you have a guy who can't miss, why, why take him out of his rhythm? So I think really the only issue the Nets have going forward is reacclimating Kevin Durant and keeping him, you know, stress-free. Because anytime this guy has a minor injury, the Nets are going to be super conservative with it and just do everything in their power <clears throat> and just do everything in their power not to not to like mess around with it which i totally i totally vibe with that idea like you have really only a year or two to get a championship with the squad it's so fucking windy the house is shaking what is happening holy shit damn that was crazy. The wind fucking distracted me. Um, what else did I want to talk about? Oh, okay. So, since we've last talked, the All-Stars have been announced for 2021. Uh, I'm trying to see, like, where a fucking list of all the guys are. Can I get that, please? Thank you, NBA.com. Okay, <laughs> so there has been a little bit of controversy, namely, well, you know what, before we get into that, let's just go over the teams real fast. So we'll start in the East, starters, KD, Giannis, Beal, Embiid, Kyrie, and Jason Tatum will be replacing Kevin Durant in the All-Star game because he's will not be healthy for that. So Tatum will take his place. I'm pretty sure, though, KD is still going to captain the team. And I'm pretty sure he's also going to pick the team. Uh, as far as the reserves go, as far as the reserves go, we got Jalen Brown, James Harden, Zach Levine, Julius Randle, Ben Simmons, Nikola Vucevic, Vucevic, excuse me, and Demonte Sabonis, who is replacing... Jason Tatum in the reserve pool since Tatum is replacing Kevin Durant in the starting lineup. Now, out west, LeBron, of course, team captain, followed by Steph, Luka, Jokic, and Kawhi Leonard in the reserves. Anthony Davis. This was arguably the most controversial pick, and I'll get to that. Let me just finish this. Um, let me just finish the reserve. So behind him, we got Paul George, Rudy Gobert, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, Zion Williamson, and Devin Booker. Uh, okay, so 
uh, I'm just I'm trying very hard to understand the thought process in picking Anthony Davis to be an all-star, knowing full well that he's just going to be replaced. It doesn't make sense to me. Everybody, um, the timelines match up. Everybody knew that, that um, what the fuck is his name? Anthony Davis was not going to be healthy for the event. Yet they picked him anyway over Devin Booker, who is the injury replacement to Anthony Davis. Booker deserves to be an all-star. Um, Rudy Gobert over probably Rudy Gobert. I mean, I'd also maybe even throw him over Zion. I didn't really, I wasn't expecting to see Zion on this list, quite frankly. Also, maybe even over Chris Paul. Like that's, it's, it's so difficult trying to pick these all-star teams, but like there are just sometimes you see what the coaches think when they're picking their reserves and it's like, they really do be thinking like coaches. I mean, I don't even want to talk that much shit about Rudy Gobert, but Statistically, his numbers are mostly rooted in defense. And if you're picking a team that's trying to win a championship, you would 100% pick Rudy Gobert. In an all-star game, though, it's a different setting. And I'm not sure if the coaches are actually trying to like win the all-star game. That could be... A possibility, I forget. I think Quinn Snyder is coaching the um the Western the Western Conference team, but I also don't know how like the coaching voting pool works. Like if they just get all thirty coaches and they fucking pick names out of a hat or whatever. Um, but I'm kind of indifferent on Gobert being an All Star. I didn't expect to see him on there. I did expect to see Paul George, of course, and Dame Donovan Mitchell. Um, not Chris Paul though. I'm gonna try. I don't remember. Okay, so this was from like three weeks, a month ago, maybe when I picked these teams. So, of course, the West is drastically different. I had Dame, Booker, De'Aaron Fox, Christian Wood before his injury, Paul George, Brandon Ingram, and Anthony Davis. And this was right before we knew that Anthony Davis was going to be sidelined through the All-Star game. So, that's really my only beef is that this came out, they announced everything a couple weeks later, and AD was still on there. I just feel that it was, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking about it too much, but um, the East Reserves pretty much line up almost exactly the same. I had Jalen Brown, of course, um, Harden, Sabonis, Tatum, Julius Randle, and Vucevic. I think the only thing we got, or I got wrong, was I thought Trey Young was going to make it over Zach Levine. But Zach Levine has been absolutely just dominant the last couple of weeks. I got to try and find out what his numbers were or what his numbers are exactly. So let's quickly just um, go to his splits. We'll do... Um, how many? We'll do... Let's do 10 games. Nice round number. So in his last 10, Levine is at... <laughs> Oh my god, this guy is just on a different level. 31 points on 55% shooting and 48.8 from three. Oh my god, what a fucking monster. And, and on top of all of that, the Bulls are winning. They're 6-4 and four in those 10 games. Granted, Levine has had to average damn near 35 points on 61% shooting in those six wins, but... They're at least a winning. So shout out to Zach Levine. I've always felt that, you know, Levine was kind of like, he's always been slept on. To me, he's very much like Devin Booker of their Eastern Conference. Like, dude is routinely putting up elite numbers, but folks just never, they never quite get hooked onto him. I just feel like they, they're always reluctant to believe because it's another case of, you know, good guy on just a horrific team. The Bulls have not been that horrific, surprisingly, this year. And Zach Levine's been putting up numbers. But I don't, I don't know. There just hasn't been that much national chatter about it. And granted, there never is because everyone, including myself, we're always fixated on 
the contenders because that's what is the most fun to talk about. You know, discussing, analyzing teams that are potentially bringing home a championship. Again, teams like Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Philly, both Lake, both Los Angeles teams, uh, potentially the Jazz now as well, Denver. Like a lot of the other guys get swept under the rug. And we kind of also saw this with, uh, again, Devin Booker up until recently. Like the Suns started improving, but before that, everybody was quick to just dismiss his numbers. And more recently, I'd say the most extreme of this is Bradley Beal, where people are paying attention to him probably on the same level that they are with guys like Joel Embiid and LeBron. Like Bradley Beal, everyone loves Bradley Beal. I mean, the free Beal movement has so many supporters behind it because this guy, I think I saw this this one stat where it was like Bradley Beal has lost 11 straight games putting up 40 or something. Let me um, double check that. Let me try to pull up the picture. I gotta remember where I saw it though. That's the worst part about not like saving the fuck about not um saving things on instagram i guess which is not something that i'm accustomed to doing um where is it oh here we go jesus fucking christ oh i just reminded myself that i have to talk about the fucking oh god the train wreck that is the atlanta hawks okay so bradley beal <laughs> Has lost 11 straight games when he scores 40-plus points. The longest streak in NBA history. Just imagine that. That's like the anti-Wilt Chamberlain. Like, you know, back in the day, Wilt was going out and being like 37 feet tall was literally just dunking on plumbers and electricians and folks like that. And now you have Bradley Beal who is shitting on people, but just they can't. Figure it out. The Wizards are having a very difficult time, at least collectively, for the season as a whole. More recently, they're doing a lot better. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10 games, which, again, I wonder who's responsible for that. Mr. Beal, of course. But up until bef- like before this, the Wizards were a tremendous laughingstock. Like, they were just, uh, they were down bad. Very bad. One of the worst teams in the conference. I'm glad to see that they have pulled themselves up and are not shitty because Bradley Beal doesn't deserve to put up these numbers and just keep fucking losing. Really, no player does, but that's besides the point. Um, Before I forget, I got to fucking... I got to go off on the Atlanta Hawks. Bro, somebody let me know why the fuck the Atlanta Hawks looked at their current situation and were like, yo, we got to fire Lloyd Pierce. Somebody needs to make it make sense. And why do they need to make it make sense? Well, let's go back a couple years ago. Mike Budenholzer, in what was his final season as the Atlanta Hawks head coach, goes 24 and 58. Okay? Very bad record. The team just was... Poo-poo. The team was poo-poo, caca, just dog water, just piss, shit, everything. Just all these fucking horrible adjectives. Dennis Schroeder was the go-to guy, and Torian Prince was his number two. John Collins was a rookie at this point, I believe. Averaged only 10.5 points and 7 boards. The team was not in a position to do anything. What happens? Next season comes around. They... Got lucky with drafting Trey Young. John Collins takes an enormous leap and starts pretty much becomes a walking double double at this point. They also got Kevin Herter, and you know the team is starting to show some some signs of being able to blossom into something more. And at this point, the Hawks had reached out to Lloyd Pierce. They're like, "Hey, we want you to coach the team." And what does Lloyd Pierce say? He says, "Fuck yeah!" Because who doesn't want to be a head coach in the NBA. He had already spent some time as an assistant with Philadelphia. He got his start in the NBA as a player development coach with the Memphis Grizzlies back in 2011. And, you know, he felt that he was he was ready to take on this challenge. So, all things considered, he joins the 
the Atlanta Hawks as a first-time NBA head coach. Goes on to win 29 games while losing 53. Not great, but we need the contact. The Atlanta Hawks are still a young team. And at this point, they're beginning their rebuild. Generally, when you start bringing in new coaching staff, a new coaching staff, especially a new head coach, you're like, all right, something's got to change. We need to start trending upward, right? So the Hawks, they improved on their final, on Mike Budenholzer's final season, which is good. Now, the year after that, they come out and they just stink. 20 wins, 47 losses, just couldn't really do anything. Now, Trey Young was hurt. Was he hurt? No, he only missed seven games. Really, John Collins was hurt. Um, the team just took a step back. Kevin Herter only played in 56 games. Cam Reddish, who they drafted out of Duke, only played in 58. Like They, they had issues, right? They, played, they had 21 different guys suit up for them this season. They had a ton of issues. Maybe some of it was Lloyd Pierce, but you got to think. He is a brand new head coach who's only one year deep into the league. He's still trying to figure out, you know, being an NBA head coach. I mean, his staff, I don't really recognize any of the names on his staff at this time, but that's not really an indictment on them. Um, but it's just the team is trying to figure themselves out and figure like their rebuild out and what direction do they want to go. So he has a bad season. It's understandable it happens. This was also... Um, fucking COVID and everything. Granted, they were bad before COVID and they didn't qualify for the bubble expectedly, but still, you had Trey Young, you had John Collins, you had a decent foundation. So this season comes around. And at the time of this man's firing, they are 14 and 20, only six games below 500. Atlanta goes out this previous offseason and makes a bunch of moves. They bring in Danilo Gallinari. They bring in Bogdan Bogdanovich. You still have Troy Young, who's getting better. You still have John Collins, who's producing at a decent level. Kevin Herter is still around. You draft DeAndre Hunter out of Virginia. I forget if that, that was, I think, was that last season or two seasons ago? It was two seasons ago. So DeAndre Hunter has really improved a lot in this season, up to 17 points on 36% shooting. But they are riddled with injuries. So far, the Hawks have played 34 games. The only players to have played in all of those games are Kevin Herter, John Collins, and Solomon Hill. Trey Young has missed a couple games. Clint Capella has missed a couple games as well. Cam Reddish is at 26 games. Danilo Gallinari, arguably their biggest signing this season, has played 22 games. DeAndre Hunter, another strong rotational player who is responsible for a decent amount on offense and is also a very solid defender has appeared in 18 games he's missed almost half their schedule Bogdan Bogdanovich has played in nine games this man hasn't played a professional basketball game since January and why did they go out and they sign Bogdan Bogdanovich because he is an elite shooter and a very capable scorer all of these guys who are out they are you know let's rattle it off real quick so Bogdan Bogdanovich this last Monday this last update was on Monday and he could be coming back at some point this week he says he's questionable for Tuesday's game which is tonight at the time of recording so we'll see Chris Dunn is also another guy who's been out since February we, there's no timetable for his return according to Chris Kirshner of The Athletic Kevin Herter also listed as probable for the Hawks' upcoming game. DeAndre Hunter should be getting reevaluated some point soon, although we don't know when he'll be coming back. And then Cam Reddish, dealing with an Achilles injury. He is out for the, upco the upcoming game, the Hawks' upcoming game, and there's also really no timetable on his return yet. So to see all this, to see that the team is improving statistically, they're on pace to have their highest winning percentage since 2016-17. I mean, 41 
a 41.2% win percentage isn't the best, but for a third-year head coach, it's, it's pretty decent, right? It's improvement. And, you know, the guys are getting better, the players are getting better. And really, as far as I can tell, everybody loves Lloyd Pierce. I mean, he seems like a nice guy, always out in the community. This, I'm not, and I'm not just talking about the players. The city of Atlanta loves Lloyd Pierce as well. Like, that is a different type of love. When you get the city to love you, especially knowing how sports fans can be. And the city of Atlanta, who has not had that much luck with their Falcons or their Hawks in recent seasons. You know, it really, it really says something about the kind of guy that he is. And just for the front office to look at this situation and to assess it and think that the only way to proceed is to fire Lloyd Pierce, I think is just fucking stupid. He's 14 and 12. Despite dealing with so much crap this season, his team hasn't even been fully healthy. And the Hawks are just like, you know what? It's not working out. And I don't know if it's just the nature of being an NBA head coach. I don't know if they saw what happened with Kenny Atkinson in Brooklyn, how in his, I think it was his third season, his third or fourth season as head coach, the team goes to the playoffs. And anyone who followed the Nets that season know that that playoff run was kind of a fluke. I'm not, you know what? It wasn't even kind of a fluke. It was a fluke. And that's me saying that as a fan of the team and someone who thoroughly enjoyed seeing them go to the postseason. I loved watching D'Angelo Russell light up the league after the All-Star break. And again, I don't know if that played a role in their decision, but it really is just indefensible. I, I, can't, I can't understand why they would do this. And it's kind of, it's, this really is a bittersweet situation for me because Nate McMillan is now replacing Lloyd Pierce. And I think that Nate McMillan is a fantastic NBA head coach. He's proven it time and time again. This guy knows how to coach. He's been doing it forever. And yeah, I get it. He's never won a championship. His playoff success hasn't really been the best. I mean, he's only 17 and 36 in the postseason, but the guy knows what it takes to win at the NBA level. And I think a lot of his, I don't even want to say issues, but like he hasn't really ever been on a championship caliber team. Like I know he coached Brandon Roy with the Blazers a couple, um, like a decade and a half ago or so, but statistically those teams like, they, I don't think anyone looked at them and thought, hey, this team could win a championship. Maybe in 2009 when they went 54 and 28. I mean, they, but they didn't even finish first in their division that season. They wound up going up, going up against the Rockets that season who were about as good as them. Um, probably should have beaten them. But look, I mean, you're going up against fucking Yao and T-Mac and Ron Artest. Well, formerly known as Ron Artest. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's tough for them. And I know Brandon Roy's career is, that's something that I'm probably going to have to cover at some point on this show because just, man, when you talk about what could have been, Brandon Roy is probably the ult- one of the ultimate what could have been. It's like right up there. He's up there with Grant Hill as just like, you're talking an elite level talent if they stay healthy. But Nate McMillan has won more than 50 games in the league three times, which is a fantastic amount. Anytime a coach can win 60% of their games, they, they deserve a round of applause. I mean, and really anything over 45 is decent. But I think that, you know, did the Hawks bring him to Atlanta knowing that they were going to fire Lloyd Pierce halfway through the season? Like, I, don't, I really don't want to go down a conspiracy theory rabbit hole, but like, is that possible? Like, am I wild for thinking that that might be a possibility? I mean, I don't want to rule it out completely, but if that were the case, that's like super fucking scummy. Fortunately, I know that Lloyd Pierce is going to get a job somewhere because I think a franchise is going to look at what happened 
with the Hawks this season and know that, let's say it straight up, he got the shaft. Lloyd Pierce got shafted by the Atlanta Hawks organization. Again, that's just my opinion, but when you just try to assess the situation, an injury-riddled team, you know, playing decent, considering every all the fucking hoops they had to jump through, he never should have gotten outed. I was talking to a couple of my buddies last night, and we pretty much agreed that, like, this, this was not the right course of action. Although... I don't want to give the Hawks any credit, but at least they hired somebody in the fucking organization and didn't <laughs> pull a Minnesota Timberwolves and just hire <laughs> just hire somebody midseason from a different team. That would have been that would have been the fucking chef's kiss icing on the cake. Is the Hawks firing their coach, not only passing up Nate McMillan, but going to another organization to find somebody? That's just that would have been it would have been just fucking phenomenal uh, but really that's all I have to say on the Lloyd Pierce situation I know that that Mr. Pierce is gonna find a job sometime soon I don't know where um but I'm sure there is a team that is gonna be quick to hire him whether it's as an assistant or ultimately as a head coach um, I just know that there are a bunch of teams that could benefit from having him hey maybe the Washington Wizards perhaps like Scotty Brooks bro what's going on you know like I know the Wizards have had a difficult time over the last couple of years but bro I feel like Scott Brooks hasn't been good since he left the Oklahoma City Thunder I mean that's kind of cap he they've really they've really only like fallen off in the last three years or so but I mean Lloyd Pierce had three below 500 seasons and not even three to fucking he had like two and a half not even he had one full season one shortened by covid and then he got fired halfway through this season i mean scott brooks is you know the same he's finished below 500 every year since 2019 i mean mostly that'd be kind of sick though that would be sick to see lloyd pearson washington if nothing else just to get like a fresh face but yeah that's really all I got to say on um on the Lloyd Pierce situation, I'm trying to think of if there's like anything else. Like what else? What else is there to talk about? I feel like I've covered it all. Talked about my Nets, talked about my Knicks, well, not my Knicks, talked about the Knicks. Wow, I feel fucking disgusting. I'm going to I'm going to have to go take a damn shower. After that, I mean, we got the Lloyd Pierce situation out of the way, the All-Star Reserves, although didn't really talk about much because there's not much to talk about. Um, the only thing I could think of is that the MVP race is a lot more exciting than where we left off last week. When we last spoke, I was vehement in my opinion that the NBA MVP is Joel Embiid's to lose. And since then, I still feel he's in the lead, but Nikola Jokic is gaining traction, and you know the Bucks won five in a row. Of course, they won five in a row before losing five in a row and then winning five in a row again. But you know, ten and five in their last fifteen games, Giannis is doing Giannis things. He's better than he was last year. Dare I say? No, he's not. I'm kidding. But like Giannis is having another. MVP caliber season and I think it kind of just has flown under the radar because if you look at these if you just like look at these stats in a vacuum 30 points 12 boards 6 assists 55 and a half percent shooting like Giannis is 100% gonna give Joel Embiid a run for his money and then you know I can't help but be a little bit of a homer and talk about my guy James Harden bro like this dude, 25 and 11, 49% shooting. I would not be shocked if James Harden got, you know, a couple votes at the end of the season. I also wouldn't be shocked if Donovan Mitchell got some votes at the end of the season as well, just because of the fact that, you know, he is the best player on the best team in the NBA right now. I'm not saying that he's having a strong enough season to win the MVP, but if you're talking about, you know, most valuable 
would Donovan Mitchell qualify as being the most valuable? I don't know. That's something that we're going to have to talk about later on because, yes, as good as the Jazz are and as instrumental Donovan Mitchell is to their success, they have a very well-rounded and talented team from top to bottom. They have minimal holes in their game. I mean, their defense is elite. Offense is elite. Three-point shooting, elite. They're the third best team in the league, and they take the most threes. I mean, the Jazz really have no holes in their game, and I think a lot of that has, you know, shown itself. That's why they're 27-8. and eight. That's why they're the only team in the NBA that doesn't have double-digit losses quite yet. I mean, it really is. It really is a marvelous season that Quinn Snyder and Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are putting together, and they're just, like, dominating people. I mean, their margin of victory is almost 10 points a night. That's fucking crazy. And to do it without, like, a super-duper star, to just be this dominant and to just shit on teams this badly without a LeBron or a Steph or a KD, I think it really, it really highlights just the absolutely fucking absurd cohesiveness of this unit and of course it highlights how great of a leader donovan mitchell is as well and also like i think his unselfishness is kind of going unnoticed because i mean he's taking 20 shots a night that is a decent amount but he could easily be you know stealing four or five six shots from everybody else and just you know no one would really bat an eye on it because he's the best player on the team like he deserves to take all the shots but they have four guys who are shooting not even just more than 10 points a night more than 12 a night there's Mitchell there's Jordan Clarkson at about 15 and then Mike Conley 12 and a half and Bogdanovich at 12 so you know they really they really do be sharing that rock and then Joe Ingles is putting up a super efficient 11 and a half like taking 5.3 threes making 45 percent of them I mean I would not be shocked to see Donovan Mitchell be a finalist for the MVP. I don't know if I would agree with it or not, but I definitely would not be surprised if I saw that happen. And we're coming up on about an hour. And with that, I'm going to close this one out. Thank you guys so much for listening. If this was your first time, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. I missed you very much. As always, any way that you support the show is much appreciated, whether that's just listening to it, telling a friend about it, following it on social media liking it and leaving a review on what is it fucking apple podcast following it on spotify again all that stuff is much appreciated and i will catch you guys in the next one